0: Which one of you has been praying for rain? (laughs) Thank you for that. That's just, I blame you that winter has set in. Summer was great for the 17 months that we enjoyed it, but uh, now winter is upon us. How many know that uh, the attention of your eyes will capture the affection of your heart? Hold on, I just. Oh, man. Cowboys are winning again. Yeah. Uh, come <laughs> on, man. Seriously? Patriots, the Jets are tied. Giants play later. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> you're here. You know, the attention of your gaze will capture the affection of your heart. Fear and faith can both act prophetic. I changed the word on the main point because the main point says they can be prophetic, but it's not actually the case. Faith and fear actually can act prophetic, each trying to author your story. It must be Halloween down there. (laughs) I mean, did anyone else hear that? I hope that child's okay, but um, it sounds like somebody's being stuffed into a pumpkin, but um, the kids are having a great time downstairs. Hey, how many know that we've opened up our basement? Hallelujah, amen, yeah. I know, it's exciting. It's exciting. Can we get them back in the portable? Uh, it's a little too loud. Don't tell Megan I said that. She'll definitely kill me. But my first point this morning is, who is the author of your story? Who is the author of your story? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, the attention of our eyes will affect the affection of our heart. How many know that Jesus is writing your story? How many know that Jesus is writing your story and you are just one of the main characters? You're not the author of your own story. And what this verse says is that Jesus is not just the author. He doesn't just begin it. He doesn't just begin your story. He's the finisher. He's the perfecter. And then it says this, that he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. In other words, your story was the joy set before Jesus. He endured the cross that he might finish your story. He endured the cross that he might finish your faith. Our faith is not our belief. It's not simply in our ability. Our faith is not in our gifting. Our faith is not in our education. It is not in our finances. Our faith is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so when I fix my eyes upon Jesus who finished the work who began the work, Jesus, who is authoring my story, when I fix my eyes upon Jesus, I know that I can have faith because I have faith in Jesus. And so as I lift up my gaze off of my circumstance... It doesn't mean that my circumstance doesn't exist. It doesn't mean there isn't wind, there isn't waves, there isn't a storm swirling around us. It just means that my affection and my attention is on him. We read this famous story in Matthew chapter 14, this is not in your notes, where uh, Peter observes that Jesus is walking on the water. Peter observes Jesus walking on the water and, and there are wind and there are waves around him and Peter says to Jesus, if it is you, tell me to come. And Jesus invites Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water. How many know that walking on water is not possible? Any of you try this? I have. I've tried this. I said, Lord, I'm going to walk on this pool. And guess what I did? I sunk. But Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come. And Jesus has come. And when Peter steps on the water, he walks on the water. As his attention is on Jesus, he can walk on water. But then there's this verse that says, But he looked at the wind, he looked at the waves, and he began to sink. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life there is wind, and sometimes there's waves, and many times there's a storm. We can't ignore the storm, we can't ignore the wind, and we can't ignore the waves, but we can certainly affect our gaze. The attention of my eyes will capture the affection of my heart. What is the attention of my eyes? Fear or faith? This morning I wanna share about the story of Israel and the Promised Land. It's a journey of faith and fear, both competing for the attention of God's people. This is right after Moses went to Pharaoh in Egypt and the people of God were set free after years and years of captivity and they're wandering in the wilderness and they are two years into what will be a 40-year wandering. And they're two years in. Just two years. And we come to the chapter 13 of Numbers. Turn with me to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 13. And we read this: The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the land of promise. It's the promised land. It's the land that God has for His people. Send men into to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Who is giving this land?" Not a trick question, it's God. God is giving this land to the people. (laughs) Whenever a pastor asks a question, everybody gets real nervous, like, he's gonna trick us again and we won't get candy. No, um, it is God, God is giving the people the land. And he said, send a man from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one of them a chief among them. So 12 men. The first thing to realize here is that the Lord is giving them the land. So they haven't earned the land, they can't fight for the land, they can't um, capture it themselves, the Lord is giving it to them. And how many know that God doesn't promise what you cannot possess? God doesn't promise something to you in faith that you cannot possess by faith. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter one, verse 20, we have the same story. And Moses is speaking to the Hebrew people in this account. And he says, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come." Moses makes a critical mistake here. Moses has faith. Moses wants them to go up and take possession of the land. But something happens. The people get in Moses' head. And Moses gets fearful. And he makes a critical mistake in his leadership where he allows the fear of the people to get inside of his mind. And fear has aborted many destinies that haven't come to full term. Fear will try to rob you of your destiny. Fear will try to rob you of the promise. Fear will try to rob you of taking possession of the land that God has promised to you. A Couple years ago we We noticed that one of our ducks disappeared. We have these large Peking ducks. They're so, they look so delicious. (laughs) But this one was alive. And we noticed that she had begun disappearing into the bushes. And we found out that she was sitting on eggs in the bushes. She made a nest and she was sitting on, I must have been 10 to 12 eggs. And so we knew that if we left her out there that You know, she wouldn't survive. The eggs wouldn't survive. They wouldn't hatch. So we moved her into a cage sitting on these eggs. The cage was very roomy, by the way. It was a five-star cage where she received all the meals she wanted, and she was happy just for those that are concerned about the word cage. So we moved her into the cage, and she sat on these eggs, and she had to sit on these eggs for 21 days. And so every day we would go in and we would try to be quiet around her because we didn't want to disturb her and check on her and she was really happy and she would look at us and say, I love my little cage here, thank you. It's a five-star cage, remember that. And every day, you know, one week passed, two weeks passed. And then the 15th day, I, I go into the shop where she is nice and quiet and there's egg shell everywhere. And she's looking at me with these vicious teeth. And she's pecked. They don't have vicious teeth. It's a joke. But she's pecked all of these eggs everywhere. Day 15. Something snapped. Something jarred her. Scared her. And and some of these eggs had like, is there kids here? It's like half grown duck fetuses inside of it. It's horrible. I'm cleaning it up and I'm just like I'm like crying over these duck eggs and it's disgusting. And then the Lord spoke to me. Joel, don't get off the eggs before they hatch. I was like, what does that mean? And at that time in my life, I was going through a lot of difficulty in ministry. And I wanted to give up. Because ministry is hard. You don't do the right thing, you don't say the right thing, you aren't the right thing. And I remember during this time where I didn't know that I was going to continue pastoring here. I didn't know that this was the right place for me. I was being told it wasn't the right place for me. And the Lord said, don't get off the eggs of your destiny before they hatch. Some of you are sitting on eggs of promise right now. And some of you are facing the battle of your life. And some of you have been praying over something for a long, long time. And some of you aren't seeing victory. And some of you are wondering if, if you're even on the right egg. <laughs> and some of you are wondering, is this ever going to happen? And some of you are wondering if that job is ever gonna come, if you're ever gonna have enough finances, if you're ever gonna have that child, if you're gonna, ever gonna have whatever it is. And many of you want to give up. Give up on that unsaved loved one. Give up on praying for that sickness in your family. But I'm here to tell you, do not get off the eggs of promise before they hatch. We continue on in our story with the People of God in Numbers 13, verse 17 to 20. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb, and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. The time of the season was the first ripe grapes. The time of the season was harvest. The time of the season was now. The time of the season was fruit. Moses says, be courageous and bring back some fruit. You know, in this story, what we have is we have that faith has drifted into earthly principles. The question Moses asks are, see if the land is good or bad. See if the people are, are strong or weak. See if, the, the, see if there's fruit in the land. Well, there's fruit in the land. But see if um, they live in cities or, or camps or strongholds. Like, go in there, guys, and just assess what you see. That's always a bad plan. Always a bad plan when it comes to faith. Because the things we observe around us could be that storm. Well, the waves were 30 feet high and the wind was howling at 14 knots and, and you know, it was raining really hard down on me. And, and when you begin to apply earthly principles, this is where faith can drift into fear. Now, the thing about fear here is that fear disguises itself as wisdom. Fear disguises itself as wisdom. It says, what seems wise to you? Have you ever been here? Moses was applying earthly principles. There's nothing wrong with good principles. But sometimes good principles focused on fear can replace God principles focused on faith. Nothing wrong with good principles except where good principles are formed out of fear. Oh, it seems like the land is good or bad. It seems like the people are strong or weak. It seems like they live in cities or tents. It seems like all of these are good questions, except they're starting to forget the fact that this is the land the Lord gave them. They're starting to forget the fact that this is the land of promise set aside by God. Now, if it's the land of promise set aside by God, what do you think, is the land good or bad? Good. Does it matter how big the people are? No. Does it matter if they live in tents or cities? No. See, the one question faith asks, the only question that matters, is God in it? If God's in that land, if God has promised us that land, then guess what? What he promises, he has given us the ability to possess. Right? If God promises us, and this is a great verse in, in Jeremiah chapter one, this is a diversion, this is just dropped right now, hot off the press. Jeremiah says, I will watch over my word to see it performed. That's what he says to Jeremiah. He doesn't say, Jeremiah, make sure that you steward this word really well. Make sure you plant it in good soil. Make sure that you water it. And soon, Jeremiah, if you work really, really hard, Jeremiah, because you're such a good little gardener, eventually it's going to turn into fruit. And when you, Jeremiah, do all this work, it's going to be fruitful. And then you can pluck the fruit of your own labors, Jeremiah, because you're such a good gardener, little Jeremiah, It doesn't say any of that, by the way, in Jeremiah, in case you're wondering. God says, I, God, will watch over my word to see it performed. And then this amazing thing happens. God says, Jeremiah, just open your mouth. And God says, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. If I don't stay really close to Jesus, I wanna put a whole bunch of other words in my mouth. If I don't stay close to Jesus... I want to fight battles on my own. If I don't stay close to Jesus, I want to take possession of land that isn't mine and stay away from land that is promised for me. But I can assure you this, me and Jesus have been pretty tight for nine months. Pretty tight. He's my pal. So the spies spent 40 days assessing the promised land. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. This is where they got it wrong. We went to the land that the Lord promised us. We went to the land flowing with milk and honey, and, and you were right, Moses. There was honey nut Cheerios floating down the riverbed. It was. It was beautiful. The land was rich. It was exactly what the Lord said it would be. It was the land of promise. However... However, the giants are large, and the cities are fortified and strong. See, fear will often use past experience to author and finish our story. What happened to the spies, at least 10 of them, 10 of them went in, and they came out with the wrong focus. They came out with the wrong perspective. They went in, they saw, they observed, they used their earthly principles and they determined in their hearts that because of what we saw, it is not a good idea to go into the land. They forgot that this was the land that God promised to them. The people of God could have entered the promised land at year two, but they had to now wander another 38 years because their fear changed their perspective and their fear captured the attention of their eyes, and what captures the attention of our eyes will always capture the affection of our heart, and the people went in, they they looked, they perceived, they had principles, they had questions to answer, and when they came out, those questions around earthly principles affected their destiny. Fear will always give more thought to the problem over the promise. And faith does the opposite. But not all the spies were filled with fear. There were two Joshua and Caleb. My man. I owe you 20 bucks. (laughs) Numbers 13, verse 30 to 32. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb was on to something. Caleb was on to the fact that God had given them this land. And he's him and Joshua are like, let's go up and take it because God promised this land. But the other 10, the other 10 affected the direction of the people of God. Joshua and Caleb were the minority. They were the 2 out of 12. But it was the right voice to follow. In our minds we have many thoughts. Probably 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 80% of those thoughts are negative. 95% of those thoughts you've already had, they're repetitive. So 80% of our thoughts are negative, 95% of my thoughts I've already had, it's just a cycle. But that 20%, that 20% is really important. That 20% is where faith lives. That 20% is where God lives. That twenty percent is where the presence of God is. How many of you have heard of Joshua and Caleb? How many of you know the other ten men? I honestly can't name one of them. There's some scholars in here who are like, well, I'll get up here and, you know, it's a car and you know probably can name them, but. My point is this, you always remember, even though it's the minority, you always remember faith because faith might be quiet, but that whisper, that whisper is the author. That 20% might be quiet in short and little. That, that 20% might be in the middle of all that negativity. And all those storms, but I fix my eyes upon Jesus, the author, the author of my life, the author of my promise, the finisher of my faith and now when I think about it when I look at the cross the cross paid the price for my faith Moses echoes Caleb in Deuteronomy one twenty nine to 33 and he says do not be in dread or afraid of them The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Just hold that for a second. Look at the imagery. Look at the imagery here. This is so beautiful. He's saying, look at what God has done for you. This is the Lord who has carried you as a man carries his son. This is the God who promised this land for you. And then look at the next verse. Keep going. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord. In spite of this history you've had with God, in spite of watching him deliver you from Egypt, in spite of him carrying you like a a father carries his son in his arms, in spite of all that, you didn't didn't believe God. Your, Your eyes got off of Jesus and they focused on the problem. And sometimes we allow our circumstances, we allow fear over our circumstances to author our story. We allow fear to finish the story and become an author It was never intended to be. We are children of faith. We're not children of fear. Doesn't mean we won't have storms, doesn't mean there won't be sickness, it doesn't mean there won't be poverty, it doesn't mean there won't be issues. All of those things are real and they will come against every human being on the face of the earth. What you're going through may change but who you have with you will never change. I would rather be in the 20% who live by faith than the 80% who live by fear. How about you? One of our values at Northside is to be faith-filled. This means that we believe what God says and we do what he asks. Nine months ago, we started a little construction project in the basement. It was January 24th, the day construction began. January 24th was also the day that I became lead pastor. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Just don't. And... The day before, I remember I had a thought crossed my mind. Just cancel the building project. Just cancel it. Cancel it. Next, next whenever is going to be really, really difficult. Just cancel it. And I remember the 80% thoughts around that. And then I remember God said, hmm. I'm in it. And I remember that week sitting with our council in a demolished basement. And I remember all of us, together with council, were saying, we have faith. God's in this. And ironically enough, I would have loved to say to the day that the project was finished, Nine months to the day. But unfortunately, we're still missing those doors that I can see. But I will say this. The project is relatively complete. Nine months to the day. Because we had faith to allow the baby to be born. And... We also need a little more finances, but we'll get to that next <laughs> in the next few weeks. <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but I'll just I'll just share this with you. It wasn't for applause because we all did this. Although shout out to Pastor Jen because she's cleaned most Fridays and Saturdays. So, um, and we've you know as a team we've had no offices, we sit on round tables every day here. And at, once, at one time, I loved my coworkers. <laughs> and by faith, I still do. <laughs> but we, um, you know, we, we've had, obviously, quite the journey and we will continue to have that journey together as a team, but we also believe that we are stepping into the land of promise. Let's pray, and worship team, if you'd come up. Father, you are so beyond our thoughts and our ways, beyond our motives and intentions, Beyond decisions we think are right, you're above it all. And I pray for your perspective, Lord. I pray that deep within each of our hearts, Lord, we would seek you amidst the situations or circumstances we find ourselves in, amidst the storms, amidst the wind and the waves that we can, we can clearly see around us. I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed focused upon you because you're the author. And I'm not the author, and we are not the author. You are the author. You are the perfecter. You are the finisher. So, Lord, as we close in worship, I pray that you would help us to redirect our gaze upon you, who for the joy set before you, us, you endured the cross. And that cross is the substance of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.